0: Uh, thank you for being here. Um, we are finishing up our series we've been in. It's called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And uh, today, I'm going to be talking to you about uh, the idea of it, it's okay to not be okay, and uh, and we specifically level this divorce and marriage. We, uh, starting several weeks ago, you know, we were trying to figure out who's going to teach on what, and uh, we got to this particular week, and uh, Tracy and I were like, who should do the message? And uh, so we decided to flip a coin. And I won, 483 times in a row. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Um, for those who don't know, I am divorced. Uh, it's, it's still relatively new. I've been divorced about a year and a half now. And uh, so I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I wanna give you some warnings right up front. Um, I hate to say it's it's like a trigger warning, and I hate that, but uh, here's the deal. Um, One, uh, I'm not going to be talking about uh, necessarily the biblical view of divorce. Um, Quite honestly, Tracy preached a message on that sometime in like the last year, I think, and it was absolutely beautiful, and I've asked him to, when he uploads this podcast, if he would also uh, reload that one. Because I just don't think I've ever in my life heard a better message on what the divorce says about uh, what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage, and um, or maybe maybe I have, and I just didn't care at the time. I don't know, but it's good. So if you want to know what the Bible says about divorce and marriage, check that out. Um, also, for those who there may be kids here who have stayed, we are talking about divorce, and if uh, if your kid is not comfortable with the topic, then. Um, You do what you got to do, parent. Um, As I've been thinking about this for like six weeks now, uh, and I've just sort of been throwing aside, okay, I'm not going to talk about divorce uh, necessarily, what the Bible says about it. I'm not talking about remarriages this morning uh, because I don't know anything about that. So why waste your time with something I don't know? It's something I like to do in my personal life, but not professionally. Um, Also, I, I want to... Quite honestly, I'm not sure, after, after six weeks of thinking about this, I'm not sure what I'm going to say this morning. And uh, so I, I just want you to know if anything I say comes out and sounds either like justification or kind of self-aggrandizing, self-promoting, then please know I have misspoken because I've, I, that's not what I want to do this morning. Um, all I can do... Um, And and I told God, I told God, this is all I can do. This is all I got. So ideally, anything useful is going to come from him. All I can do this morning is kind of share my story and hope that in the process, I can point back to him. So, and this is a big rat's nest, folks. It's just, it's paw. And, And so I've tried to pare it down. I've tried to say, okay, I'm not talking about this. I'm going to throw that out. I'm not going to cover that. I may get long, I know me saying I may get long, but my apologies, I'm just going to let you know, if I get too long and you need to go, go. Uh, Hopefully, by the time you need to go, I will have already covered the good stuff. All right, so, let's kick this pig, 10.39, I promise I will have you out of here by 11.30. All right, so here's a story. Uh, years ago, late two thousand and eleven, um, probably November, December. Uh, I I started noticing, uh, which is weird because I don't tend to notice. Uh, I started noticing something, and and I didn't know I didn't know what. And quite honestly, the fact that I noticed should have been a clue that this was a bigger thing than I thought it was, but I noticed something. Um, but I'm like, you know what, we'll, we'll, we, we've got a vacation coming up, we're, we're going to Hawaii with uh, extended family and the holidays and everything, and and it, it's probably just stress and the hey of the season. Get back, January, still something. Finally, get into February, and uh, and I just sort of throw something out there. I'm like, you know, there's something. There's, and, and, and at the time, I didn't think it was big. I thought it was just I had been married in 2012, coming into 15 years. Uh, so I just wrapped up 14 years, about 14 years and a half in. I figured it's just one of those things. You know, marriages go through 14 years, 15 years, knowing each other like a couple years before that. It's just just one of those things you kind of get through. Um, so I just sort of threw something out there, like, hey, there's something. And, and see, in my mind, which is the first problem, I'm like, you know what? I see, I see an iceberg out here on the horizon, and the SS Sousa is headed right for this. So I'm going to take preemptive, proactive steps here to keep from running into this iceberg, I said. So I threw something out there, and that's when I realized, son, this is so much worse than you thought. So that would have been just about this time, just about this time, about four years ago now. No, six years ago. And so, there, there, in, in, there, there wasn't a lot of conversation or discussion, and I couldn't really pin down, I couldn't really put my finger on what, what's happening here, what's, what's the problem. And, and so, without understanding the, you know, the problem I was trying to address, all I could do was sort of run around. And, and, and I, okay, well, maybe it's this thing over here. So I'm going to take action on this. And, and then maybe maybe it has something to do with this. So I'm going to try to take care of this. and And maybe over here. And for two years, I just sort of ran around trying to address things, not knowing what I was supposed to address, trying to put out fires when all I could see was the smoke and I couldn't tell what the fire actually was. For about two years. And it was... Horrible. 2014. Almost two full years later. Maybe even a little bit longer. I have no idea how things have been going. I have have no idea if, if they're better, if they're worse. And then one day, there it is. Divorce. Not, not, I'm thinking about divorce. Not... Maybe divorce is the way to go. Not let's talk about divorce, but we are getting divorced. Full stop, end of story. And as horrible and as painful as that was, in its own twisted way, it was also a blessing. Because because it was like having this wound wound like like a, a stabbing wound, and with the word with, with, with the understanding that this is over and it cannot be saved, it was like it was like the knife being removed, and once it was out, healing could start. But not yet. Twenty fourteen. That's when we do. In our family. That's when I had the great opportunity to share with my kids that uh, their life as they know it and thought they were going to know it, let's blow that up. So that was fun. And we just sort of limped along for another two years. 2014, that's when, uh, you know, once the kids knew, that's when, you know, dad made the move down the hall to the guest room. And that was okay because for me once, once I knew my marriage was over once I knew this relationship could not be saved I had <clears throat> I could grab onto putting that aside and going into dad mode and, and, and being a father and having my children is what kept me afloat during that time because it was like okay this may have blown up epically, but, but I'm dad and I'm going to continue being dad and, and I'm going to, as messed up as this situation is, I am, I am going to go full on dad mode and I'm going to take care of my kids. And so if that means, you know, sleeping down the hall from them or, or actually right next door to them, they um, did not actually know their father snore until he moved into the room next door. He did not know how much goofing around went on in the room at night until he moved into them next door. So, that was fun. And then, 2016 rolled around. Time to pull the trigger. It's when a few other people were kind of made aware of the situation. And late July... 26, 27 of 2016 is when I got an official piece of paper from the state of Alaska saying, Mr. Souza, you are no longer legally married. In my mind, I was married up until that point because in my mind, the only two people that could really, the only two entities that could really end my marriage was God and the state of Alaska. Uh, I didn't hear God saying it's over, so... So for me, regardless of anything else, I was married until I got a piece of paper in the mail from the state, and that's, that's when things were over. And it was horrible. It was horrible. It was four long years in which, despite however I may have presented, I was not OK. And, and it's weird, and, and for my own story, I have, to, I have to refer to notes to try to keep me on track here. It was weird because as we've gone through this last several weeks of this series, it's okay to not be okay. It's like the entire series was a microcosm of my life. Every single week, we talked about something, and I was like, yeah. And, and maybe maybe not so much on... The depression thing, because I understand there's a difference between suffering from depression, which I do not, and being depressed, which I was. But every other week, it was just like,
1: yeah, brother,
0: oh, yeah, oh, I know that one. And so quite honestly, I could have saved this about six weeks and just on our entire sermon series right here, right now. See, we started off the series and... And I got up here and I talked about perfection, perfectionism and the guilt that comes with not being perfect and how, how that makes us not okay. And for four years, six years, now, still, I live in a place where I look at my life. And I told you, I told you when I preached, I look back on the course of my life and I see far more failures and regrets and flaws and mistakes then I do the good things. And even now, I stand here, and looking back, and looking at the situation, and knowing that the divorce, I think, wasn't really about me. And yet, as I look at it, it was my failure. And I look back, and I, and I, see, I see a course, and I see a, a path in my life where I failed, As a man, and I failed as a husband, and I failed as a father, and I failed as a Christian, and I failed as a pastor. And any metric you use to determine success or failure in human life, I failed miserably. And to this day, right here, right now, even as I say it, even as I acknowledge in my mind that not necessarily in my heart, I failed. And it was my fault, and I should have done better, and I should have fixed it, and I shouldn't have allowed this to happen. You know, as as I was recounting this and and trying to figure out where I'm going this morning, I realized I had blocked out. I had I had stopped thinking consciously, recognizing the moment when we took our children aside and told them, "Mom and Dad are getting divorced." And, and the second I, that popped in my head and that memory came in, and now for the, like the last three weeks, these little faces are just burned into my head, and I can't get out the moment and the pain I inflicted. And what happened? And I so desperately want God to take, let me forget. Let it, let it go back to wherever it was before today. I failed. I was not perfect like I should have been. And there is guilt. Anxiety, fear, yeah. What's going to happen? How is this going to work out? Remember, this is two years of I thought there was still some way to get back from this. You see, I thought I was taking steps to avoid the iceberg on the horizon Folks, I was running around playing my fiddle, rearranging deck chairs because the Titanic was already sinking. I was up to my waist in water, and I didn't know it. And I couldn't figure out, why is this not getting better? Because you're trying to fix something that's dead, idiot. I mean, Hawkeye Pierce. Does that mean anything to anyone? Okay, you just dated yourselves. Take any medical show you enjoy MASH, ER, whatever's on TV now, there's always going to be that seminal moment where the goof-off doctor, the one who never takes any, gets invested in the patient, and he's going to save this patient. You're not going to die on me. And he's up there on top of the table, and he's doing the You're not going away. You stay with me. Stay with me. And everybody else in the room's like, bruh. Dude's been dead like 45 minutes. They're like, yes, I'm coffee. He's going to eat. And that was me, man. That was me trying to push life back into something that was gone. And two years of anxiety and fear. And how do I fix this? And how do I save this? And am I going to get it back? No, dummy, you're not. Doubt and disappointment with God. Now, I will tell you, there's never a point where I looked at the situation, I looked at what was going on, and I said, God, this is your fault. God, why have you not fixed this? It was more sort of, God, come on, man. Throw me a bone. Come on, give me, give me one win in here. Somewhere, anywhere. Give me, just give me one. Just let one thing break my way. Please. Nope. Dear God, let things go back to the way they used to be when they were good. Ah, eh, sorry, not going to happen. Okay. Dear God. Let us settle into whatever this new thing is together and, and go forward in whatever this is. No, that's not going to happen. All right. Um, dear God, please, let us keep it together. Let us fake it to make it until number two son graduates high school. Just let us stick it out until he gets done with high school and he goes off to college or whatever he's going to do, and then we, we'll blow the whole thing up. That'll be cool. I can totally live with that. Nope, not going to do that. All right. God, how about, how about even though, even though we, we're not living in the same house, even though we've divorced, even though we're gone our separate ways, let us just keep things as as normal as possible for the kids. You know, I'll still come over at 7 o'clock in the morning and I'll get them ready for school and then I'll drive them to school and then I'll come over and I'll, and I'll, and I'll pick them up from school in the afternoon and I'll come and I'll stay till dinner time or, or maybe I'll stay for dinner sometimes and, and, and then I'll see them off to bed and then I'll go home and we'll start up the next day the same way and, and it'll kind of be the same. Nope. Dear God, please, Whatever door she sees to get out of this state, close it. Don't don't let her don't let her leave the state. Eh. Dear God. I got nothing left. Just last one. Come on. Big fella, last one. Let me keep my boys. That's like, what, strike seven there? Something like that? Every time there's a turning point, and I look to God, and I said, God, please, give me this one. God said no. And I understand, God didn't say no. But you see, God, sometimes the only way God can fix things is to take control of things, and if he's dealing with people who are not being controlled by him, he can't fix it. He can't override your will and make you do what you don't want to do. And if somebody wants to leave, they're going to leave, and he can't make them not. Doubt and disappointment. Loneliness and depression. Depression. Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you don't know, whatever you think loneliness is, whatever you've experienced in your life and you think this right here is the epitome of loneliness, I'm going to tell you, no. no. And I don't mean to elevate my experience over yours, but I'm just going to tell you right now, there's nothing lonelier in the world. sharing a bed at night with somebody that doesn't love you anymore. No, 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 let me, let me check that. The only thing lonelier than that is to both be laying there in the dark awake, aware that the other one's there, aware that it's over. Everybody knows there ain't nobody talking. And so in addition to everything else, I'm constantly running tired, I'm constantly fatigued, because it just took to the point where it's like, if I don't go to bed till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, she'll have to be asleep by then. Maybe the loneliest moment, early, early, early August, 2016. Um, divorce is final. Um, she has moved out of state about a week prior. Put my boys on a plane to go live with their mom in North Carolina. I have emptied out my house. I have, I have gotten rid of what I'm not going to keep, and we've garage sailed and yard sailed it to death. It's like a country music song. I've moved out what I'm going to keep, moved it into storage. I'm sitting in what used to be my happy family home. No furniture, nothing left. Just me, a broken down recliner, my cell phone, and my dog. Oh my god, my life was a country music song. Oh. And to get some pictures, some wonderful pictures. My boys at the beach looking so happy and so excited. And everything was awesome. And then, within a few hours, I'm looking at Facebook, and and I realize that the pictures they sent me were were part of a a bigger selection of pictures from their mother's beach wedding in South Carolina. And and, and I see these faces of these people that, that meant so much to me and mean so much to me, and there's so much joy and love and happiness, and I'm sitting in the ruins of my family and my home. That's lonely. Yeah, folks, I was not okay. Um, you know, if, if, if I was going to put it to lyrics, at night, at night, not Simon and Garfunkel, pff, disturbed. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because there is nobody else in my life I can talk to about this. Now, early on, early on, even before I knew divorce was the final outcome, just when things were not looking good, and I thought, we're not going to make it. I talked to Tracy. Tracy was like the only person, the only person I told, and I told him not as pastor to senior pastor, not, hey, boss, I need to let you loop you in on this so you know. It was, hey, my friend, you got to share this with somebody because my heart's breaking, and I just need to say the words. I just need somebody to know. So at night, hello, darkness, my old friend. But then during the day, faking a smile, with a coffee to go. It's not something I wanted to share with folks, not something I wanted people to be aware of. I sure did not want my boys to know. For the first two years, I, I didn't want them to know how how bad things were. And it was cool because it was a it was, I mean, there wasn't this explosive thing, it wasn't fights, it wasn't, you know, this really obvious thing, quite honestly, until we told them. We're getting a divorce. They didn't understand anything was wrong. Quite honestly, I really didn't understand anything was wrong. And so every day I had to get back up, and I had to do my dad thing, and I had to put on the smile, and I had to just be dad, and let them know their life and their world was okay, regardless of the reality I was not okay. Take a minute, breathe, refill coffee. I'm trying to see where we're going. And there I was, not being okay. I, I didn't I didn't have anything left. My my wife is gone. My best friend is gone. My kids are gone. My home is gone. My identity is gone. For, for almost 20 years, my, my life, my identity, my, my very vision, my understanding of who I am as a human being, I know. Oh, our being is in the Lord and that who makes us what we are. no. I was a dad, and I was a husband, and now I'm not. And if I'm not these things that are a core of what I was, what am I now? That was the fear and anxiety. What am I now? What am I going to become? There came a point... And I, I would say this was probably the bottom. This was rock bottom. And it wasn't rock bottom because it was the most painful moment or it was the most horrible moment or it was the most defining moment. But I think it was rock bottom because it was the moment when I could only start going forward. And I could only start climbing back up to whatever that new thing was. I moved out of my... House, my home. Went to stay with my dad. That's always good. Yeah, you know for like years I'm like ragging on the little brother who's living at home with dad. And then one day uh dad But no rock bottom is this moment when when I shut down for the night and I, I went And I I went to go to bed, and I laid down, and I looked around, and I realized I am laying in the exact same room I was sleeping in the night before I got married with all the exact same stuff that was on the walls of this room the night before I got married. In the bed I slept in growing up, And I last slept in on the night before I got married. God, the last 20 years was all, I'm right back where I started. What do I have? Not to get trite. But I have God. And it was in this, it was in this two years of trying to fix something that can't be fixed, and two years of of trying to hold it together while we figured out to divorce things. And and the, the time of of trying to get every last moment of life with my children I could, and putting them on a plane. And through all this, I realized that, that there was no wins. And, and all I could do, all I can ever do, all any of us can ever do is abide. And I don't know, you don't have to admit it, but right now, I say the word abide, certain minds went to the dude. <laughs> Folks, I gotta tell you, it's weird Because the second I realized I was going to use abide at this moment right here, the first thing I thought of was not which scripture uses abide, but the dude abides. (laughs) And the ridiculous part is, I hate the Cohen brothers. I've only ever seen the Big Lebowski one time, and I don't remember anything about it except the dude abides. And I don't know what the do to abide means, but I know what I abide means. You know, there's this thing that floats around on, on Facebook from time to time. You know, the, um, the devil snuck up on me and whispered that, that you are not safe from the storm. And I whispered back, I am the storm. I tried to go Sam Elliott, and it just did not work. <laughs> you know what, folks? Let clue you into something. You are not the storm. No matter how awesome you think you are, you are not the storm. You are never gonna be the storm. And sometimes there comes a point When you can't run, and you can't hide, and you can't win. And all you can do is abide. God willing, you will have the strength to stand while you do it. Maybe not. But you can abide. You can find yourself in the place where you realize I have nothing left except to find myself hiding, cowering in the presence of my father, waiting for it all to get better. And when you abide, it does get better. Not fast, not the way you want it to. But when you realize you are in his hands and you place everything else in his hands, you realize, you know what, in the grand scope of my eternal life, this moment, this huge mountain of pain and despair, it's a hiccup. There's going to come a point a million years from now, five million years from now, an eternity from now, this is not even going to be on my radar. It is okay in whatever your circumstances to not be okay because in not being okay is where you learn to abide. Now, I don't put this forth as any kind of of representation of what divorce looks like because I don't know. I don't know what anybody else's situation looks like. This is just what it looked like for me. But here's where my story might be a little bit different than anybody else's. Because see, I think in most cases, when you're going through this horrible thing called divorce, you, you get the opportunity to, to um, what do you do, you, you hunker down, you um, grab the haagen or the wine, whatever you do, you uh, get together with family, uh, you do dra- draft picks, right? You just who gets what friends. Something like that, like the couch, the TV, and you divide friends, something. Um, And you get to kind of withdraw, and you get to kind of huddle up and and make your way through it. See, in addition to everything else I just laid out, there was this awesome moment, many awesome moments, when um, I get to go to Tracy, Tracy knows, and, um, you know, there comes a moment when I go to Tracy, and I was like, dude, it's done. And and, and, and let me let me back up one second. If you go, which I, I can't encourage you enough, even if you think divorce is not going to happen to you, you will know somebody who does, and to have a good understanding of what the Bible really says about divorce is going to be vital. And I cannot encourage you enough to go listen to Tracy's message about what it really says, because it kind of lays out this, this, this idea that I never heard before, that divorce can be an act of love. And, and, and I, I wasn't consciously aware of it. There was no point when, when I said, Dear Jesus, I'm going to be so loving in the midst of this divorce. But I knew, I knew we were getting it right. Right? When uh, we got to go to the divorce hearing, because that's fun, uh, boy, there's no place more life and soul-sucking than divorce court. Oh my. You walk in and it's just this room of crowded with people. And you look around and every single one is a story that started with love and hope and joy and promise for the future. And oh, that's never gonna happen to us. And now you're looking around going, I bet she got a gun in that bag. I think she might have, because the deputy came over and took her bag away. It was weird. Um, and, and didn't have the great option of, of like going first. I don't know what the order was, but we were like seven or eight people in. Yeah. And so to see couple after couple, ah, oh, people brought their children. Oh, my God. Uh, and to see couple after couple go up and go through the little swinging gates, and and she would sit at this table and he would sit at this table, and and then the judge would be like okay, throw it out there and just blah, and it was like, did you guys used to and love and forever, and it was just horrible, and there was anger and. And, and, and bitterness, and despair, and accusations, and recriminations, and sometimes children were right there to witness the whole thing. And, and probably the only thing, other than God working behind the scenes, because I wasn't actively thinking about it, that kept me from maybe going to, the, I hope I couldn't have gone to that place, but, but deciding right up front, the second that was like, this is divorce, this is happening, we cannot avert it, was that I am not going to damage my children in the course of this. I am not going to make accusations. I am not going to throw their mother under the bus. And at any point in time, if it comes down to somebody has to take one for the team, I'm going to do it because we are going to be family in whatever its form, and I am going to protect my children from her, from me, from everything else. And so when it's our turn in, in divorce court, we're sitting there in the gallery together, and they call our name and we look at each other and go up front, sit at the table together. And the judge starts talking about this fact or that fact or, or this, uh, this is going to work out this way. And, this, and here was me and here was her Working together as much as possible for the other one's greatest benefit, trying to do the greatest good we could for the other. And it can happen. Even in the midst of divorce, there can be love. So, we knew divorce is coming. I go to Tracy, I was like, Brother, it's over. We're getting divorced. Here's the court date. And he's like, all right, we need to let some folks know. Awesome! (laughs) So, one of the great things about being a pastor going through divorce is in addition to all the other horrible garbage I just laid out, you get to have meetings about the destruction and death of your marriage. Woo! Oh, Lord. It felt just like that. So the first one, he's like, all right, we need to let the elders know. Okay. Okay. Is this not going to? Okay. We need to let the elders know. So we need to have an elder meeting. Cool. I'm not going to get this back, am I? I totally. Maybe if I move it way down there. Okay, Um, So we're going to have a meeting with the elders who don't know. I mean, I think Tracy might have like sort of, uh, just so you know. So we come in, and we have a meeting right in this little room right back here. And see, not not only do we get to have a meeting with the elders, but after we have the meeting with the elders, we get to send out a letter on church letterhead to the entire church body. People who have not showed up for church in like three years and you're like, I don't know if they remember if they're even still alive, but let's tell them. And then, woo! Let's have a big whole church congregation right on Sunday morning after the message is over meeting about my marriage being dead. Woo! I cannot wait. This is where it got scary, and I will tell you why. Because I did not know with 100% certainty in my heart of hearts if it was okay for me to not be okay with you. And I hate that I have to say that, but churches have a reputation of not just shooting their wounded. They eat their wounded. They carve their wounded up and eat them and spit out the pieces. And if you have never been damaged by a church like that, you probably know somebody who has. And I wanted So much to believe. We don't have a church like that. There is nobody in this church who's going to do that. But as I've already said, I'm not real quick at picking up on the obvious. So we have our first meeting, the elder meeting, in this little room back here. All the elders are there. They don't know what we're here for. I don't know what I'm gonna say. I don't even know if I can say. I am literally, literally just focusing on, I'm not gonna cry, I'm not gonna cry, I'm not gonna cry. So I've got nothing to say. Tracy lays out the whole thing. He says, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Here's, you know, how do we move forward? Lloyd Fuller sitting at the other end of the table. We get through this pause and he looks at me and he goes, so are you gonna stay with us? And the first thing I thought to say was, well I guess that's sort of what this meeting determines. And he didn't get it and nobody thought it was funny because in that room, it was like seven people and nobody was thinking, eh, time to cut our losses and kick this dude to the curb. And I wanted to believe that nobody would, and I would get the support, and my kids would get the support, and my wife would get the support, and we did. And, jeez, thank you. Thank you. And then, and I got through, and everything's going so well. Every, we're cruising along, and then somebody has the brilliant idea. Let's go stand around Jason and lay our hands on him and pray for him. No, no, please. No, Dad. <laughs> and I just melted. And I, well, I, ugly, I didn't even cool cry. I ugly cried. <laughs> so that was awesome. You know, not man cry, you know, just that little choking up. <laughs> you know, <what>? no, <laughs> It's not bubbles. And oh, All right, and so send out the church letter, let everybody know, hey, folks, here's what's, not only here's what's going on, but we're going to have a meeting about it. And that's one of the pieces of advice that came out at the elder meeting when somebody said, you know what? You might just want to shut down your social media for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and that was a good move. And then came the day of the meeting. And again, that fear was there because I didn't know. I wanted to trust. I wanted to trust that, that nobody was going to Nobody was going to come to me or look at me in my brokenness and say there's no place for you here because you should be okay. Because sometimes in church we have this idea that there's some things that just by virtue of relationship with Christ you should not be susceptible to. A, A presidential advisor recently came out in the last couple weeks and said, your faith in Jesus should make you feel, uh, no, no, no. Your faith in Jesus should keep you free from the cold. I love Jesus enough that I'm not going to get a cold. I don't love Jesus enough to save my marriage. And the only thing worse, the only thing worse that I could think of than somebody standing up and saying, I cannot support this man, I don't think he should be here, was for us to take some kind of anonymous vote and therefore have to be like one vote, that yes, we should kick him to the curb. And then, not wanting to, but forever after, every time he came and every time I was with you going, Frank Jones, it was you, wasn't it? You voted against me, didn't you? See, and, and I only bring this up because, because personally, the, the, the thing I want us to take away from here is that personally, we need to be okay not being okay because none of us is okay. All of us are going to come up against something that forces us to learn to abide. But then in a larger context, I want us to understand that we as a church need to be a place where it is okay to not be okay. Okay. This needs to be a place where anybody that comes through that door, no matter what the nature of the pain they are bringing in here with them, knows that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Amen. We, I guarantee you, I don't know, I am not telling you, I got a little something, something I heard. I guarantee you, not knowing anything, there are more than one people here this morning who are carrying dealing with some kind of pain, some kind of hurt, some kind of brokenness that we don't know about. And they show up every week, and they put on their smile, and they're not telling everybody. They need to know, you need to know, regardless of what the the, the nature of your pain is, it is okay. Because there is nothing in the the vast scope of human experience that you can be dealing with, that can be hurting you, that anybody in this room is going to say, that's not okay. Even if it's a pain you brought on yourself, we're going to love you enough to say, I'm sorry you're hurting. Let's figure out how we can get you out of this. That's why every single one of us need to be in a life group, because that should be a place where you can come and go, you know what, I am not okay. And I need you to not be okay with me. If there is anything in your mind as you sit here this morning and you go, you know what? I am okay with people not being okay except for, stop. If in your mind there's an except for, if in your mind there's something, somebody can be dragging down an anchor on their soul that they live with day in and day out and it just breaks their heart and you say, that is not okay and there's no place for that here, God forgive you. I don't know how we are as a church. I don't know if we're awesome. I don't think we get it all right 100% of the time. This is the world we live in where everything's broken, everything's messed up, and we cannot get it right 100% of the time. What we can do is we can love people and say, no matter where you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your hurts, no matter what is hiding behind that smile, it's okay, and we're going to be okay together. I don't know if any of that makes any difference. I don't know if any of that helps. I don't even know. Quite honestly, I, I, I woke up so many times over the course of last night because generally when I get up here, I at least know kind of a direction. I, I at least have some understanding of... This is kind of what I'm supposed to do. This is kind of what I'm supposed to share. Oh, snap. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to say. I don't know if I said it. I don't know if I said it any good. But I said what I've got to say, and I will just leave that with you and pray that Jesus makes much or little of it and that uh, going forward, we do it together. We, we embrace our not-okayness and that we're willing not maybe publicly, not a church meeting about your not-okayness, but know that there are people here you can share that with, and that whatever it is you're dealing with, you don't have to do it alone, because that is what Christ Community Church is. And I'm done. Uh, uh, let's, can you stand with me, and we'll close in prayer at 1126? And I'm going to assume that applause was for the awesome job I did and not for thank God he's done talking. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come here today to gather together, uh, to worship, uh, to share uh, life and stories and love and, and, and our walks together. I just pray as we go from here, Father, that uh, each one of us would know that uh, whatever it is we're dealing with in life, it's okay as long as we are willing to put ourselves and our circumstances and, uh, and our situations and our pain in your hands, and that we are willing to abide with you. And that each one of us would be willing, Father, to reach out, to let it be known to those around us, it's okay that you're not okay, because I'm not okay. And God is going to help us to be not okay together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: All right, so just a couple of things. I know uh, you guys are ready to go. I do want to say thank you to Christ Community Church through uh, Jason's circumstance and particularly thankful to our elders um, who really set the the stage. But we did not have a vote, by the way, um, because the elders had already determined that as leadership we were going to stand behind Jason because of the circumstances of what happened to him and the church stood with us, and it was really a beautiful thing um, to behold and says so much about you, and I appreciate that. Um, Jason underscores the theme that we've really been trying to throw out these last several weeks, which is uh, God doesn't promise you that everything will go the way that you want it to. He promises you that he will be with you. He will abide with you. If you abide with me and I abide with you, this is where life is supposed to go. Um, uh, Jesus said, uh, abide in me just as a a branch abides with the vine. You've got to be connected to the source in order to be a disciple of Christ and then have meaning in your life when things just go off the rails. And uh, we've seen that lived out here and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, so uh, if you got the email.